So um, we're in the midst of Deuteronomy, and um, I know I've given this sort of introduction over and over, but I just want to keep us refreshed on what's actually transpiring here. The nation of Israel is preparing to cross over the Jordan River and uh, take possession of the promised land of Canaan. And there's much of this group that is unfamiliar, at least experientially, with uh, the working of the Lord. They have heard of the things that the Lord has done. They are aware of uh, many things. They've had their own experiences, but this younger generation has not experienced a lot of what uh, the older generation had experienced. And of course, the older generation, much of it has passed away, and the remainder of it is going to pass away before they cross over into Jordan. So they need to be made aware of these things. So there's a review of the history, a review of the law. But within that, right, a lot of what we hear in these passages and sometimes what a lot of what we hear in church, in Christianity, sort of feels like a historical condemnation. That, you know, here's what the Word of God says. Uh, see how you failed. And uh, no denying that truth within it, but you have to hear what the Lord is saying in that you have victory within your possibilities. You, you can uh, obediently follow the Lord and experience his blessing in the process. So Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 1, those first three words, at that time. So he's going to give a little bit of explanation, but this is where Moses had gone up on the mountain and retrieved the two tablets the first time, returned to the camp, found them in sin, and had broken the tablet. God's judgments uh, pronounced upon them. The golden cow burned, ground to powder, cast into the water. His reckoning with the people. At that time, the Lord said to me, Hew for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and come up to me on the mountain and make yourself an ark of wood. If you're not familiar with it, that's going to become the Ark of the Covenant. That will be overlaid with gold presently and make it with wood. And I will write on the tablets the word that were on the first tablets, which you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. That would be a wonderful archaeological find to come across the Ark of the Covenant. And there are great discussions that you will run into. Um, I, I, like you, uh, want these things to be found, want these things uh, to be verifiable, but uh, make no mistake, they have not been. Um, we sometimes have a renewal of interest and stories and accounts of Noah's Ark and 
Then you'll hear things about the Ark of the Covenant and its location in Egypt and, you know, different descriptions of the group that has it and where it's located and what it looks like. And in the end, we don't have any of it. Those things aren't in our hands, are not in our possession. Uh, think, think about uh, the occasion where uh, Moses made the brass serpent. And then all the people worship the serpent. And now you've got the cult within Judaism that is the house of the serpent. And when the reformer comes, he brings the brass serpent out in the street and smashes it to pieces, saying Nehushtan, meaning thing of brass. If we have articles, if we have relics, because of the sinfulness of our heart, we end up idolizing them, right? Uh, Jesus teaches that uh, occasion of the rich man and Lazarus and they die and go to hell and the rich man is begging to go back and share with his brothers or that you know Abraham would send someone back to share with his brothers. And there Abraham says they have Moses and the law, right? The prophets and the law. Uh, let them hear them. Summary. The word of God is what we need to pay attention to. Uh, you know, consider what Peter said, right? We were on the mountain. We saw Jesus Christ in his glory, the transfiguration. And he said, we have the more sure word of prophecy. Again, the word of God. We need to be students of the word. We need to be serious about the word. We need to be led by the word. We need to be taught by the word. The word needs to be in our mouths continuously is what Moses tells Joshua as he takes over. But here, interesting, you know, tablets and you have the Ark of the Covenant described here, but that's not what we should be looking for. Verse three. So I made an Ark of acacia wood, hewed two tablets of stone like the first, went up the mountain having the two tablets in my hand, and he wrote on the tablets. He wrote on the tablets. These are not laws made by men. Uh, the historians, the ungodly historians, want to point out uh, that uh, you know there were other ancient lawgivers. There were other ancient societal laws, and you know the Ten Commandments are similar to them. So. You know, God's commandments are nothing new. God's commandments are nothing original. Yes, they are. Okay. We hear the New Testament telling us that God's law is written on our hearts. We hear the New Testament telling us that what can be known of God is revealed in nature. So it's not a surprise that ancient people were able to derive right and wrong and codify it and write it down. What is unique is that God himself wrote these laws, not Moses, God himself. That makes them unchangeable. There's a verse in Proverbs that's often overlooked where the Lord is speaking of ownership and property, and he says, do not move the ancient boundary markers. 
in that you're stealing your neighbor's property, right? If you get up in the middle of the night and you go over and pull your survey pin out of the ground and you walk 10 feet onto your neighbor's property and drive it back in the ground, I mean, some surveyor would be able to correct that. But if you're now claiming that property, right, you've stolen area that does not belong to you from your neighbor. When God said that, he wasn't just talking about land ownership. He was talking about definitions. He's talking about what he has set as boundaries. For instance, right now, our culture, you know, a few years ago, we were sort of laughing and mocking the fact that our society has lost grip of what is marriage, right? Is it one man, one woman? Or could it be a man and a man or a woman and a woman or a woman and a dolphin or, a, you know, everybody was confused. Now, now we don't even know what a man is. We don't know what a woman is. We've moved the boundary markers, and once you start shifting the boundary markers, well, then everything gets messed up. Well, you know what surveyors do, don't you? They rely upon what is written. <laughs> they look at the maps, and they take the measurements according to what is written, and they find that which is unmovable, and they measure from there. And if they've got to go all the way back to benchmarks, they will do that, right? You've been on mountain peaks even right around here, and there's the benchmark, right? Geological survey set in stone, cemented in place. you got to go back to the original, so be it. You can measure everything out from there. God wrote his law, not humanity, so humanity doesn't get to change it. Simple as that. You know, they can move it all they want. In the end, they're just playing pretend. Isn't that silly to watch? You see them on television interviewing, and now you've got to call Bruce Jenner Caitlin. You know, it, it, have you noticed? I don't know if you've paid attention to this. Have you noticed how often they take these individuals and they will not put them on camera with someone else? The reason being is what Bruce Jenner's like 6'2", right? A frightening looking woman, man. I just he's a scary guy. I refuse to refer to him as anything other than Bruce. You know, he is he, she is she. That is established by God. Uh, you know, I go a long ways down that road in discussion, bathed in testosterone in the womb. You are male to the molecular level. You can't ever change that. It's impossible to change that. Your, even your mind in its electrical current conduct pathway and behavior is male. Ask any woman who's had to hang out with you. You make no sense whatsoever. And by the way, you are lost. Ask for directions. <laughs> it's the truth. No, presently you are. Right now, here in this room. He wrote on the tablets, according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord had spoken to you in the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of 
the assembly the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark which I had made. And there they are, just as the Lord commanded me. Listen, can, can you get the picture? Moses talking to a younger generation, saying you weren't here, or you were very young, and you aren't aware of all that went on. But let me just tell you that what you've heard really transpired like this. And I put the stuff in that box, that one right over there. And they're able to go, oh, that box, right? I, I put the Ten Commandments in the Word of God. It's in your hands. You can turn, right, Exodus chapter 20 and find them there. Those commandments are in the place they're supposed to be. The younger generation that's coming up right now, that some of you are in this room, you need to find these things for yourself right where God put them and determine for yourself to know and trust them as though they were written by God, that they are for you, that they will guide you and minister to you just as the Lord commanded. Verse six. Now the children of Israel journeyed from the wells of of Benajakin to Meser, where Aaron died. There he was buried. And Eliezer, his son, ministered as priest in his stead, in his place. And there they journeyed from Gudgada. That sounds like one of those Yiddish terms, doesn't it? And from Gudgada to Jodbatha, a land of rivers of water at the time the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless in his name to this day. Ministry before the Lord needs to be a calling, not a vocation. Anyone who's going to serve the Lord with their life needs to know in their heart and mind that God has called them to do that. Um, I've said this before, forgive me for my repetition, I would encourage you strongly to pray for your youth pastors. The average lifespan of a youth pastor serving in ministry is less than six months. That's bizarre to think about, right? Some of us had youth pastors that served for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. They are rare. Uh, the surveys show that some people, some people, many people serve for a matter of weeks. Okay? They raise their hand and say, yes, I certainly will, and just get the stuffing kicked out of them. My insistence is this. We know as a fact that more than 80% now more than 80% of the people who become Christians do so before the age of 18 years old. That puts 80% of the spiritual warfare we often refer to below the age of 18 years old. Anyone who's going to serve that group of people is going to experience attack unimaginable. Unimaginable. I myself know what that was like. Spent five years as a youth pastor. It was like stepping out in front of a moving bus. Pastor said, 
We need a youth pastor. I said, sure thing. And got destroyed that week. And spent the next years picking my teeth up off the ground spiritually. It's brutal. It's difficult. It's hard. Pray. You, you, want, you want a ministry? Try prayer. I want to go to India. I'd like to go to Africa. I'd like to just get on your knees and watch how difficult that is. Watch how difficult it is to be concentrated for 15 minutes on prayer. A half hour on prayer. An hour, right? I hate to brag up anyone in ministry. I think I'm inviting attack upon them even further. But Bill Gallatin brought Calvary Chapel to the East Coast. He was in California and heard very clearly from the Lord that he was supposed to come back to what ultimately ended up being the Farmington, New York area. And he began to pray and he began to have visions about where the Lord was going to lead him to. What was most remarkable was other people started having visions and dreams and going to Bill's pastor, Chuck Smith, and telling Chuck about the dreams they'd had about Bill. Saw him leaving here, saw him going back east, saw him in New York, saw him in this community with all these farm silos. There's literally a silo that's an eighth of a mile from the church. It's just across the intersection now. Bill now prays for more than four hours every morning. He starts his day. If he's got to be someplace, for real deal, I've seen it in action. If he's got to be someplace by 8 a.m., he starts early enough in the morning that he's prayed for four hours before he begins the process of going out the door to be there. You want to do big things for God? You want to see big things done for God? Become a person of prayer. See, that, now you know why it's so hard to pray. Because it's so effective. It works so much work in the kingdom of God. You're moving the hand of God when you pray. Pray for this fellowship. Pray for me. Pray for what the Lord is doing in our midst. You know, again, I've asked you to pray for our Hancock County Jail Ministry. They finally flipped the switch. I think I've shared that with you. I'm doing online Bible studies with them now. So supposed to be one study. They give me the first study, have a few guys finish. While I'm online, guard comes in and says, would you be willing to meet with another group of people? Sure. Finish that study a little over an hour later. Guard comes back and says, I hate to ask you, but there's another group. They can't intermingle the groups. Would, would you be willing to do an? I was on, online for a little over three and a half hours Thursday night. Pray, right? Imagine the battle in their hearts and minds. Yeah, I was just saying to the guys this morning, it's stunning. Here they are incarcerated. Most of them that are in county are in some big court case in process, and they're going to end up someplace sentenced for a big chunk of time, right? And here they are arguing with me as though they're such a brilliant theologian. I, I, I get smug and I get right to the point with them where I say, really? So here I am spending this time teaching you the word of God, but you're convinced I should be learning from you? 
It's your deep sense of theology that led you to be sitting there in orange right now. That's how this went down. Filled with pride. Filled with arrogance. Thinking to instruct. You know, like they're like 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 they've got a church and a following and a you know. They haven't even got enough self-control to keep themselves from doing heinous crimes. Pray. Pray the Lord would deliver them. Pray that we'd get them out of there, get them into CRD, that their lives would be changed, they'd become disciples and go serve like we are doing. The Lord would use these opportunities here. Such an interesting thing. He was called stand before the Lord. Eliezer was called to stand before the Lord in, in replacement of uh, Aaron. Levi uh, has no portion nor inheritance with his brethren. Verse 9, the Lord is his inheritance, just as the Lord your God promised him. The Lord is his inheritance. Listen, the Lord is your inheritance. Do, do not think, well, that is relegated to pastors and deacons and elders and those guys, right? If you're a child of God, then according to Jesus Christ, then you are a king and a priest in his kingdom. That's, that's what he's made us. He's the king, we're his children. That makes us princes and princesses. Right? Not that we are affluent and wealthy and you know arrogant and you know like the kings of the world. We are we serve a humble king, right? And in that process, we we are ambassadors. We represent our heavenly Father to the world around us. This is this is the opportunity you have. God is your inheritance, not this world. If you focus on this world, you'll be gravely disappointed. Verse 10, as at the first time, I stayed in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. People say, oh, it's impossible. Right. Right. Miraculous that Moses experiences. God sustained his life. Remember that occasion Jesus is at the well and he's ministering to that woman, and the disciples come back, and they're all concerned about lunch. I know you guys don't ever act like that, but the disciples were terrible. And then the conversation, and Jesus says, oh, I have food you don't know anything about. And now they're still wondering about, well, who brought him lunch? Did he have lunch? Did he have secret lunch? How did this go down? And then he makes the statement that his food is to do the will of his heavenly Father. And I suspect that you, dear saints, have had similar occasions, maybe many or at least a few, where you're talking to someone about the Lord, and a long time has passed. You've shared for hours and hours and hours, and you finally step out of that circumstance and realize, I am starved. You were being sustained during that time that you were in the occasion. The Lord was taking such good care of you. There was a sustenance to your very soul that was going on. Moses experienced that for 40 days. Where in the presence of the Lord, his body was being cared for by the Lord. Right? This question comes up in a few different ways. The summary of the thing becomes, you know, what about us? 
We've given up, you know, homes and clothing and family to be with you. And then that statement from Jesus comes, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. What is necessary will be given to you. He stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. The Lord also heard me at that time and the Lord chose not to destroy you. He chose not to destroy you. He was going to destroy you. And I prayed earnestly, and God listened to me. Good for you, huh? I prayed on your behalf, <laughs> and God listened to my prayers. Might sound like arrogance, like as Moses claims to have saved. He did. Why? Uh, because he is reflective of the character of his God, right? Jesus makes intercession for us. He intercedes on our behalf. He stands between the judgmental power of God and the sinner. Moses reflected that character and stood between the rage of God. The rage of God. Listen, I want to address an issue briefly. Uh, this COVID thing has exposed a lot of junk in Christianity and uh, to that end, it's served a purpose for the body of Christ. Uh, this week, a pastor of minor influence has gone public with a number of statements about what he refers to as toxic masculinity. And um, he even went as far as to say that if someone were to break into his home and try to murder him or his family, he would do all he could to stop that person, but uh, he would never kill a human being or want to harm someone that was doing that because it would be toxic masculinity. By the way, uh, what he is exemplifying is femininity and what I will administer upon you if you come in my house and try any such thing will not be toxic it will just be masculinity as I destroy you I will not allow my family to be harmed read again Psalm 18 as David cries out to God and then the overwhelming anger and wrath of God comes streaming out of the sky, right? God is masculine. He, he is God. And he instilled in his creation male attributes. And the aggression, which is male is supposed to go out the door every morning and conquer the world and bring home provision for the family. And it's supposed to defend the home against the evils of the world. It's supposed to have grit. It's supposed to have teeth. And it can calm itself down and cry with emotion over the relationship with a child or a grandchild also. Masculinity is not toxic. It's not toxic. 
It's supposed to defend the world. And the fact that that has been turned on the world and in sinfulness done harm to the world is what causes the world to say toxic. So I say to you, Christian brothers, let the Holy Spirit flow through you and be tender and kind and good and the defender of the weak and the innocent. Amen? So strange. Here, the Lord chose not to destroy you. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, begin your journey before the people, that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. There's a lot wrapped up in that statement. You don't have to like search and dwell to try and find these things. But here, the promise has come from God. Listen. Have you prayed that God would perform a certain work in your life and it hasn't come yet and you've gotten discouraged? Understand, right, that at this point, this nation has been inside Egypt for hundreds of years with the promise that they were someday going to possess this land. The fact that it hasn't happened for hundreds of years is not a failure. Right? I always forget John the Baptist's father's name. Zachariah? Elizabeth and Zachariah, right? At 80 years old, the angel comes to Zachariah and says, Good news! God has heard your prayers and will now answer them by giving you a son. Okay? I'm 52 years old now. And grandkids wear me right out. The thoughts of being a parent again at 52? I'd do it if God put the challenge in front of me. But the thoughts of being 80 and beginning the process, I mean, at that point you're like, I think you've got the wrong address. <laughs> yes, I prayed that, but I was 19. I was 20. You're late. Really, really late. Really late. God's not late. He's not late. How old are you? Not too old. Not too old to serve the Lord. Not too old to be useful. Not too old to see his promises fulfilled in our lives. Not too old. Feels like it. Every morning it feels like it. But it's not, right? Because God can still use us. Verse 12, now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Number one, I'll give them to you, right? You can underline them. Fear, walk, and serve. That's how simple it is. Fear, walk, serve. What does the Lord require of you? But to fear the Lord your God. And this toxic church <laughs> now says the fear of the Lord is terrible. No one should fear God. <laughs> really? <clears throat> There's a sword that proceeds out of his mouth that will destroy his enemies. You know, fire proceeds before him, consumes his enemies. Lightning 
and hailstones and coals of fire go before him and consume his enemies. There are things to fear about God. There are many things, right? I'll tell you what. There's a fear in my heart that compels me into obeying him. I do not want to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. That's, that's what I'm longing for. Fear. Fear is appropriate, right? Fear and love. Fear and love. Our culture, our homes, our churches need to have this. Fear the Lord your God and walk in all his ways and to love him. Walk, progress, forward motion. I've talked before about marking time. I was a teenager and served in a civilian branch of the... Uh, Air Force was a search and rescue operation, civil air patrol. We had to work according to military standards. So had to go through the whole process of learning to march and obey orders and recognize commanders and keep your uniform proper and all that stuff. Marching. They have us out on the stinking tar, sweltering heat, August, just marching and marching. Just so you obey orders. It was always wonderful when your officer would just have you do what they call marking time. They pull you up in formation and you stand in one place and you're just marching. One place. Left, left, left. For real? And, you know, 20 minutes later, you're just really wishing you could march somebody else someplace else. And, you know, I, marking time. You're doing a lot, lots of motion, no movement. Lots of motion, lots of work, no movement. Walk is not stand in one place <laughs> and go through the motions as a Christian. Progress, forward, movement needs to be happening with your life. It's always discouraging to me to run into a Christian that I haven't seen in a while, say, hey, how are things going? And they, yeah, they tell me the same stories I heard three years ago. They're studying the same things they were three years ago. They're, they're, they're marking time. Progress. Things need to happen. You need to, you need to measure yourself, right? You say, little, little distance has been covered. I say, has any been, distance been covered? Yes, good. <laughs> Keep going, right? We heard a fellow pastor speak in May down in Sandy Cove, Maryland. And he said, it's quite simple. If you don't quit, you win. There's something to that, right? Something to that. Because we all know the pressure that our enemy puts on us, right? He whispers, we hear it in our heart, we hear it in our mind. And what's that message? Quit. Give up. No way. No way. There has to be progress. Some of us, leaps and bounds, right? Olympic level athletes. Praise God. Good for you. We'll cheer you on. 
Others of us, just the trudge is what we can give you. Right? We can pick one foot up and put it in front of the other and keep moving forward. That's what God has called us to the walk when we walk with him. Originally, you probably know this, you're more serious students of the scripture, Christianity was not known as Christianity. That was a mocking term placed upon believers by the people of Antioch. Originally, it was known as the way. right? The way of Christ, the way of Jesus, the way of what became known as Christians, implying progress, method, movement needs to be part of our lives brothers and sisters if you feel really condemned right now if you're thinking i have stagnated be encouraged christ is in the business of pulling people out of the mire right remember the rock from which you were hewn right the mire from which you were dug that's where it always begins is in the deadness of the grave and stagnation he pulls us out of that and sends us on the way, right? His word will be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. You know, if you've ever had to walk in the woods at night with a lantern, running is not advisable, right? A lantern will illuminate the path in front of your feet. And if you just move along, things will be fine. If you've ever been alone and allowed yourself to get a little spooked and started to run, you learn quickly what face down in the dirt feels like. Consider the way, the walk that the Lord has called us to. To serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Fear, walk, serve it's really as simple as that if we could just get the church back to the fear of the lord it would be wonderful if we could get our culture to fear the lord but i think that they'd have to become believers first and and usually people become believers by the church sharing their faith with the world Right, you Edwin J. Orr. Write that name down, Edwin J. Orr. You can find the website that has been constructed by David Gusick and Professor Orr. O R R. He uh, his theological study was revival. And he documented all revivals that have ever occurred historic ever occurred historically. So if it was recorded, he found it and documented it. It's really remarkable. They've been happening all through history. It's really amazing. Okay. He also discovered that the church refers to revival and really we encapsulate two other things that occur. Some of you have heard this many times, and forgive me for that. The, the, the two other things are awakening, right? Awakening. And often we're praying for revival when we actually mean awakening, right? Because 
there's a community at large around us that has never been awake or alive in Christ. Only that which has been awake or alive previously in Christ can be revived. Right? We're praying for revival. Yes, we need revival. Okay? But we need the Holy Spirit. Lastly, is the outpouring. Okay? Those things don't always coincide. Awakening of a community doesn't always also mean the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Think of Acts chapter 2, right? That was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And, and frankly, upon believers, right? Because even the people that were there in Jerusalem to participate in Pentecost were already believers. They just not experienced Jesus Christ yet. So when they experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples, then they themselves received and it became an awakening and they took it home to all of their communities. Revival? Yes, we need revival, most definitely. What we Here's the mistake, right? We want awakening in the community, and so we say revival, so we rent a tent and we set it up, and maybe the church is even revived, but, but it's the church that's going to be revived. And in fact, you guys, because of the misunderstanding of definitions, we don't function according to the very thing we're desiring. The church needs to be, we want revival. Okay, set up the tent. Let's have the meeting. Okay, I don't think it works that way, but let's do it that way. Now we've all heard the message from the Lord and been convicted and repented and we've been revived. Now we've got to go out and preach to the community. Very often we show up at those tents or those meetings or wherever and we think that the community is just going to flood in here. <laughs> well, now that you've been awakened, now start praying as a group for the Lord to pour his Holy Spirit out upon the community. That they would hear from him, that their hearts would be stirred, that they would have questions. Right? We, a couple years ago, watched a movie about what's happening in the Middle East as hundreds of thousands of people are having dreams all on their own, no Christians communicating with them. And they say, Isa appears to them, which is Jesus, right? In their culture, they know Jesus as a prophet. And Isa is his name. And Isa appears to them and tells them, more, more often than anything, Isa tells them, you need to go down the road to that Christian church that's heavily persecuted in their community, and you need to ask those people about me. Let them teach you about me. Hundreds of thousands of Muslims are coming to the faith because there is an awakening occurring in their communities. The Lord still works this way, you guys. Why am I doing this? I'm not just like rambling all over here. Pray for revival of your heart, of the church, the fear of the Lord. Pray, pray for awakening. In the, does the world want Jesus right now? You see people walking around? No, not by and large. See, we need their hearts, right? Because we can say, okay, let's do it. Hit the streets. Let's go preach to all of them. And if they've just got the stiff arm up, you're not going to get anywhere. We need the Holy Spirit. See, all of this work needs to be done by the Holy Spirit. All of it. The work that needs to be done in you, Holy Spirit. Work that should be done in the community, Holy Spirit. We need to be seeking God's work. 
letting him fear of the Lord, walk with the Lord, serve the Lord. Keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. For your good. For your good. Not for your confinement. Not for your imprisonment. His commandments are for your good. They are to bless you. Or they are to keep you. They are to provide for you. They are to make his face shine upon you. His commandments are for a blessing. Right? Uh, that was my hang-up as a young man. I became convinced that Christianity was holding me back. There was something out there that I wasn't being allowed access to. I needed to go get it. Right? It's the same message that Satan used on Eve, right? Has God told you that you can't eat of that tree? I'm paraphrasing, but the scripture tells us Lucifer basically said, God is holding you back because he knows if you ate of that tree that you'd be like him. She walked with God in the cool of the day. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing to be able to do every day? Meet with God, walk with him. Right? Is there someone in your life that you admire? Are they successful, well-off, healthy, robust life? And somebody tells you, you can be like that person. I'd like to be like that person. That'd be pretty cool. You can be like God. I'd like to be like God. That'd be pretty cool. And so she eats. And in my mind, I was told, there are things in the world you're missing out on. You should go try it out. And six years later, I woke up going, what in the world happened? I'm being sent to jail. How could this be? Some of us know what that's like. Reach right in the bear trap, right? I've shared with you before, you know, the lever on your mouse trap. You pull that hammer back and you lock the thing in that has the peanut butter on it. Do, do you know what the apparatus that holds the bait is called? The scandalon. That's where we get the word scandal from. Scandal. Reach in for it. Didn't snap on me. Reach in for it. Didn't snap on me. Until you're living on top of the scandal on, right? You've worked your way to a place of comfort where you've convinced yourself, this thing just doesn't snap down on anybody. Until it has, right? The thing of it is, it only does that 100% of the time, right? <laughs> just takes a while. It's going to snap shut. We need to understand his statutes and his commands for us are for our good. Verse 14, indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God. Also the earth with all that is in it. The, the Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them and to choose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, as it is this day. God delights in you. He delights in you. Right? You may hate yourself miserably. You may have been involved in things. You may have 
done shameful things. You may have had shameful things done to you. You may be presently at the most miserable level of failure you've ever been at in your life. And God loves you beyond your wildest imaginations. He loves us. He loves us. I always quote Joe Foch here, right? You know, we know God loves us. We know he has to love us, right? He's he's the God of love. So, you know, whatever, God loves me. You got to recognize that he likes you. That's the thing that's most remarkable. It isn't just that commitment thing of, well, he's the God of love. So, I mean, what can he do? He actually likes you. He really likes you. We need to recognize that. We need to be in submission to that. He wants to do good things to you. He wants to do good things for you. You know, we're not going to get to it next week. You turn the pages and, and the scripture says, the Lord in this passage says, I lay before you today blessings and curses. You choose. You choose. Even when you choose curse, God doesn't go, see, I knew I hated you. <laughs> he just says, oh, that is the wrong choice. That is the wrong choice. He, he is more brokenhearted than you are. Are you overwhelmed? Are you desperate? Are you crying out in your heart, even sitting here right now? God is more brokenhearted, more desperate, and more crying out than you are. He loves you so much. It's his special creation, his special love. He he has cared for you. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Romans chapter 2, verse 29. Paul tells us that he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, but he who has circumcised his heart. Right? Hey, you gotta you gotta take hold of that idea, right? Because we we often even hear Preachers talking about, oh, the special people of Israel. Yeah, I'm 100% on that. But how about the special people of Israel sitting in this room? Those who have circumcised their hearts, cut the flesh away. Cut the appetites of the flesh away from their thoughts, away from their mind. Done away with them. Right? Have you ever noticed that? As you go through the sacrifices, God gets all the fat. Have you noticed that? <laughs> fat smells really good, doesn't it, when it's burning? Barbecue, right? God enjoys that. The sacrifice made to him. Let me carve this right off my heart. This fat, sinful thing and just burn it. The Lord is so blessed. So blessed. Maybe you came through the door with a sinful, fat heart, and you're thinking like, yeah, I need to do that. Do that right now. I did that last week, two weeks ago, a month ago, last year, and I fell right back into it. So what? Do it again. Sacrifice right now that thing, that place in your heart, your mind, your life to the Lord. Recommit yourself to it. Walk out the door refreshed. He loves you. He wants to see these things happen. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and 
and be stiff-necked no longer, resistant, fighting, drawing away. For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. I wish our government was like that. But he doesn't take a bribe. I am a number one screw up, so I will serve the Lord really hard over here to buy his favor. You see, you already have his favor. Paying out like that doesn't do anything to rectify the relationship. The only thing that does that is the circumcision of heart just spoken about. Do away with these things. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow. As a fatherless and son of a widow, I can tell you the truth of that matter. I know some of you can also. He is truly the defender. He loves the stranger. I was, oh, I hate to say it. But I was in a room full of pastors at a questions and answers meeting, and one of the pastors raised his hand and said, I just really got to know, are we supposed to minister to all these illegal aliens? The pastors who were answering the questions were dumbfounded. They looked at one another like, is this a serious question? And one of them later was smug enough to say, no, you should only minister to non-sinners. Oh. <laughs> of course you minister to the illegal aliens. Of course you minister to the prostitute and the drug addict and the thief and the liar. These are the people that need ministry. God loves the stranger. The person who's come into Israel, come in as a foreigner. Give him food and clothing. Provide for his basic needs. Right? You don't want to become part of some underground illegal operation, right? What's going to cause anyone who's a lawbreaker to stop breaking the law? Right? As far as our faith goes, it's sharing our faith with them. Teaching them of our Lord and our King. Helping them to submit to our God. We need to see these people come to the Lord. I don't agree with the things that they are doing. A small example, right? Ministering amongst the jails. These guys, their language is pirate. You know what I'm saying? They, can't, they cannot talk without swearing they can't i wish they could and and to try and communicate with them right i don't i'm not like that those stupid guys who like yeah okay so i'll swear with you uh, that's really weird to me pastors who do that to you know fit in and be cool you know and they use that excuse you know be all things to all men <laughs> Are you going to start like committing crimes with them? I mean, what are you talking about? No. You minister to them as they are. I just let them talk. And I, and I will say that to them. I just stop. You know, it's your native tongue. Just talk. <laughs> you know, we'll get past that at some point. 
you know, right now, just share with me whatever you're going to share. Minister to them. Therefore, love the stranger. For you were strangers in the land. There's a difference here, you guys, in the land of Egypt. <clears throat> Cain killed Abel. And he said to God, this is more than I can bear. I'm going to be a vagabond. Right? The term means that you're going to be forever homeless. That's a vagabond. We are not vagabonds. We're sojourners. We're on a journey. We're traveling toward our home. And we should have a heart for people who find themselves physically, mentally, spiritually wandering in this way. You are strangers in the land of Egypt. You know what it's like. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him. And to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise and he is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. The previous generation saw what God did in the past. The current generation is now hearing of what God in the, did in the past and is presently going to see what God is doing. They're all going to have a supernatural experience. If you hang out with God, there's no way you can't. You're going to see things happen. There is a false attitude within Christianity that acts like there's a certain group. You know, they got big television channels and they all act like, oh, there should just be this constant firework display of miraculous occurrences all around you. And... You know, class, what I'm going to say about the fact that the book of Acts covers 40 years. And all of the miracles that take place in the book of Acts, if you spread them out over the 40 years, you're looking at less than a miracle a year. I suspect every one of us in this room has seen miracles. If you haven't, just look to your right and then look to your left. You have seen some miracles. The people around you changed lives. Right? The Lord working in and amongst us. Taking oaths in God's name. We've got to absorb all these details, so we're going to be a little late this morning. But follow this. Oh, well, Jesus said, you know, don't swear by anyone. Don't swear. You just let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's actually what that just said, too. Right? Because if you take an oath in God's name then your behavior better match it. You, you, can't, you can't walk around saying, I'm a Christian, but I also conduct myself in horrible ways. You, you're nullifying one or the other, right? Too, too, much, too much Jesus in you to ever be content with the world. Too much of the world in you to ever be content with Jesus is not where you want to hang out. You'll never be content as long as that's the way it is. The only solution is surrender your life to Christ. Because you can't just at some point say, well, I just can't. I'll just write off this Jesus thing and go the way of the world. Unfortunately for you, what he said was, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So it's going to be a miserable wandering. You might as well just give in right now. Don't believe me? Come talk to me. 
I'll line you up with half a dozen people from this room who've tried it. And they'll tell you how much it doesn't work. 22, your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. Right? People say, oh, that's you know an exaggeration. So what? Right? If you start out with 70 and then you look up at the night sky with your naked eye at the great host of stars that are there, Israel has eclipsed what you can see with your naked eye. And that's what he was referring to. Is if you look up in the heavens, right? You take a you take one man, right? Abram, Ur of the Chaldees. <clears throat> And he has his first child at 100 years old. It's crazy. Crazy to think that from him, right, the 12 would become the 70, would become the millions that are presently living inside the land of Israel, watching God's promises fulfilled in their midst, that are scattered all over the world, blessing the world wherever they live. The Lord wants to do the same thing with us. He wants to do the same thing with us. Cause our great expansion. Right? You may never have children. Physically. But you can bring people into the kingdom. You can sit with someone and pray. And watch them go from dead to alive. It's a remarkable thing, remarkable thing to lead someone into the kingdom. Let the Lord produce a fruitfulness in your life. How? Well, how am I going to do that? Reminder, summary, right? Fear, walk, serve. Quite simple. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father God, I thank you for your love. Lord, your love for us, that's crazy that you would love us and then continue to love us. Truly the definition of love. Love is patient and continues to be kind. Thank you so much. Lord, bless us, keep us, watch over us, provide for us. Give us opportunities. Give us opportunities. Lord, force us into them. We don't care. We, we have to admit that at times we resist. We're selfish, unmotivated. Force us through. Let us speak. Help us to share. Bring people into your kingdom. Expand your world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.